Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is Jo Wiley. I gush quite a lot in my intro to her because she was my radio idol when I was in local radio in Newcastle and she was on Radio 1 in the evenings with Steve Lamack. This was in the mid to late 90s. Of course, she then moved on to other shows on Radio 1 and then on to Radio 2 where she still broadcasts and she still hosts Glastonbury. She is 57 years young. Maybe her youthful demeanour and attitude is down to having four kids, including one still at school. Or maybe her love of swimming and running is what does it. She's plugged into the cultural zeitgeist, but that doesn't mean she's not experiencing the aches and pains and strains of getting older. She can't drink as much alcohol anymore, she told me. She's candid and funny, and I think you're going to love her. Hello, Joe. Hi, hello. I am so, so happy to have you on Midpoint. I think I've been trying to persuade you for about 18 months and um, and I'm just delighted because you are, um, well, I'm a big fan, but also I think you're kind of, it will be a hero to a lot of our Midpoint um, listeners, actually. I'll try not to fangirl too much, but I will take you back to 1995, 96, because I was oh, wow. in local radio doing a breakfast show. I think you were with Steve Lamack then weren't you? you would have yes, been I would have been, time, yeah, doing the evening doing session. Evenings. Yeah. And I used to listen to you in the evenings and wonder how I could ever kind of work like you did in that environment and be as good as you. And you were very much the kind of my idol, I suppose, poster girl in terms of radio oh my at gosh. the time. I know. <laughs> well, well I, that's I, very kind of you, really, really kind of you. I guess I had people like Annie Nightingale and Janice Long yeah, were your... the people that I looked up to. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I think I've only ever been muddling along, Gabby, so I don't, you know, you're <laughs> way better than anything I ever do. Well, no, I, and, and but what you made me realise, actually, was that I was never going to be like you because I could hear your passion for music. And although I loved music, I kind of liked presenting and chatting to people in a different way more. Mm. That's what the breakfast show that I did was. It was that classic commercial radio station. And when I listened to you, I thought, I, don't, I love music, but I don't think I'm ever going to have that authenticity that you had and or have. And I think that is the thing that has, has remained constant throughout your whole career, that passion for music. So take me back to when you first got into the industry and how, how you knew it was a career for you. Um, see, I probably got into into radio more as a way of an accident than I got into music. So you're probably right. It is music has always been my abiding passion. It's what I grew up with. Um, my house was full of music. My dad loved music, um, and I started going to gigs as early as I possibly could. I just loved it. I loved going to see live bands. I like talking in the sixth form. I, or I. I wasn't in the sixth form, but I remember all the really cool sixth formers who were into music and I just used to follow them around and try and read the names of the bands on their bags and get the enemy and try and do the crossword and look up the latest news. So it was always there, that just kind of just being a huge fan of music. So I never knew that I wanted to be in radio, but I did know that I wanted to be have a life in music, I suppose. And that's what I've managed to do. So it could have been you could have ended up in a different area of the industry, 
potentially? You know, uh, you could have been managing bands or... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've always been without a career path. I never, ever knew what I wanted to do. I always actually genuinely love music, but thought I'd probably go and work with people with speech problems or uh, be an occupational therapist, be in the caring profession because my sister's got learning disabilities. So my whole life was that. It was, you know, mum running toy libraries, mm. mum campaigning for this, that or the other, going to hospitals. So that, that was my world. And it just seemed like a natural progression for me to look after somebody and speech and communication was always very important because Frances couldn't talk so we learned to do sign language we just tried to understand her and also all her friends so that that was probably you know again another link into radio but that was what I always thought I'd end up doing Um, and the radio just came it was just an accident it really was I didn't do very well at school got really bad grades, managed to uh, scrape my way into university. But it was literally the only place that would take me. That's where I ended up, which was Brighton. So it wasn't like I've always had this fierce ambition of what to do. I knew that I love listening to people like Janice Long and Annie Nightingale on the radio. I loved their passion for music, but it was never something that I thought I would end up doing. I wonder, listening to you talk there, if your relationship with your sister Frances, which I was going to get onto actually in terms of your campaigning, and it's interesting the way you talk about your mum, there's clearly a strong genetic link there in terms of both of your passion to, to see people with disabilities have the rights that they need, and but also your ability to communicate and talk so well on the radio and get over your message so clearly. I wonder if that is reflected in kind of how you grew up with Francis and how you had to communicate with her and her understanding of the world. I've never honestly thought too much about the way I speak on the radio. Um, when I did end up being on the radio, so I don't really know how it links with with Francis and communication. I don't. I've never really sat down and analysed. Does she like how music? That is. She loves music, yeah. She probably loves music more than I do. So it was, uh, you know, our childhood was listening to the top 40 on a Sunday night. Religiously, she would write down um, her predictions as to what would be in the top 40. So she had, she, you know, book after book after book, year after year after year of uh, Simon Bates doing the top 40, Mark Goodyear doing the top 40, Bruno Brooks, and these were her idols. And we'd all cluster, we'd cluster around the radio on a Sunday night and just see if she was right with her predictions. <laughs> and then as soon as it was announced who was number one, you know, Agadoo or something, she'd be on to the next week and she'd write down who it was going to be. So music has just made her, it's given her purpose in life and it's made her extraordinarily happy. And maybe that applies to me as well. Maybe that's the link, the bond that we have. <laughs> yeah, she must be incredibly proud and delighted that you do the job you do because that affords her kind of access doesn't it to the world of music in a different way as well I guess so but it doesn't really um she doesn't really understand she hasn't got a level of understanding so for me when I when I first got my job at the um at Radio 1 I was just I wanted to do everything for Francis so I at Christmas time I would go and I remember approaching Simon Bates once and just saying, oh, my sister's got disabilities. I just wondered if you'd record a message for her. And so, you know, it wasn't, it was before we filmed anything and he just recorded this thing of, hi, this is Simon Bates here. Hello, love. And and I compiled all these DJs that she loved, Bruno Brooks and Mark Goodyear and Tony Blackburn. And that was her Christmas present. And she played it on repeat over and over and over again. So it, it was just those familiar voices. She didn't care whether they were famous. It was just mm. the people that she really loved. And... 
I remember taking her to Top of the Pops when I started to present Top of the Pops and I thought, oh my God, she's going to absolutely love it. And the Spice Girls were on and in my head it was going to be, you know, like the, best day. the <laughs> ultimate day. Yeah, yeah, the best day in the world ever for Frances. She just refused to come into the studio. She didn't care. She didn't care who the Spice Girls were. She didn't care what it, that it was Top of the Pops. She didn't care I was presenting it. She just wanted to sit in the bar and have a lemonade. <laughs> and that's a leveller, you know. I, I Honestly, that's a leveller. That, that was a very, very good lesson. <laughs> The fact you have a 13-year-old um, kind of hit home to me when we were discussing when we would do this and you said, I'll do it after the school run. And that kind of, because mine are just coming into the last year of school. And I was like, Joe Wiley's still got children at school. Yeah. And y- yet you've got somebody who potentially could be in the cabinet office. Do you know what I mean? You've yeah. Also, you've got that range of, you know, I don't, that's the most serious job I could think of right then. You've got that range of, of kind of family life. That The last baby, the fourth, fourth child, are you of the mindset that that's kept you kind of much more um, youthful in terms of your approach to life it means i'm aware of tiktok and i probably would not be quite so aware of tiktok if i hadn't got coco um no i mean i genuinely i just really wanted a a big family and i didn't want to stop having children i loved being pregnant i loved having babies i had to persuade steve that we should have a fourth child he was really against it um if anything it's a reminder of aging because i get i can't even bear to do maths when it comes to coco about how old i'll be at certain times because it really scares me and makes me feel a bit sick um and i'm always ultra keen that her friends don't think I'm a geriatric mother <laughs> so when she says oh my friends think you're you're quite cool and you look quite young they can't believe how old you are it's the best thing she could ever ever say to me um so I'm very mindful I don't want to be the oldest mum at school but you know I probably am um is it, but yeah maybe, maybe no I think my older kids make keep me more youthful in outlook than, yeah, than anything yeah yeah but I'm, I'm so they... happy that I have still got a younger one because, you know, loads of my friends, all their kids are leaving, you know, they have their mm. empty nesters. And I'm, mm. thank God, I've still got Coco at home. Although the yeah. others have all just come back. So it's all right. I also, because um, I know I've only got another year of dropping my kids off for the bus and stuff in the morning. I'm just really trying to embrace every single last detail of school mm. life. And to the point where I think, oh God, why didn't I enjoy school runs as much as this? I think when, when you first have kids, it's that shock, isn't it? And you're trying to juggle everything. I'm thinking of offering myself up next year to anybody who needs me to do school runs because <laughs> that, that time in the car that I'm really going to... Oh, just that kind of the, yeah. the minutiae and the detail of the kind of the morning and yeah. everything. That I think Sing, really Singing Frozen on the way to school. That's one of my most <laughs> treasured memories of when Coco was... She was just the right age when Frozen came along and it was every single school run. We just sang our hearts out and it was so beautiful. And I, I really, really cherish that moment. Uh, but yeah... I, I I guess having her now, I do absolutely cherish it. But when, when they're young, you are literally juggling spinning plates. Mm. You are trying to survive. Life is so manic. Um, yeah, I, I miss the boys being really, really tiny. I see old photographs of them holding hands together. And I just, it, the, the realisation that you can't go back in time and relive those moments again, sometimes I find completely overwhelming. And um, and I have to stop myself thinking about it. And, mo- and appreciate where we are right now. That's what you have to yeah. do. You have to, it's okay to lament what happened in the past, but you have to absolutely enjoy every second you have now and um, yeah, make, make plans and have adventures together still and appreciate yeah. what you can do together at whatever age. And also the extended uh, kind of family that having older kids, there'll be other kids coming along, hopefully down the track or potentially down the track, you know. So you, I don't think it's ever going to be an empty nest there. No, I, I hope they're, not. <laughs> they're all going to keep coming and going. Yeah. And, and also your home life is outside of your work life in terms of location. You live outside of, of London. Mm. You come in to work. Have you always been quite good at demarcating that or have, have the kids kind of, you know, been part of your work life? Um, no, it's always just blended together, really. I mean, quite a lot of what I do 
ends up being at home, you know, like speaking to you now, <laughs> I'm at home and if I do photo shoots, I always try and do them at home um, just because it makes my life a lot easier. Um, but I'm really thankful that I get to go into the studio and have that time to myself. It was, mm. I worked through COVID, so I carried on doing my show throughout the entire time. And I think that's what kept me sane. I was really thankful that I was able to do that. Um, so I quite like, yeah, I do like doing the grown up stuff, but it's always blended. The kids have always come to festivals when they were tiny, like, India when I was at Radio 1 and I was doing um, my mid-morning show I used to take her into work with me and, I, and it was before we had telephones and iPads and goodness knows what and I used to literally unplug the family television and I used to put it in the car and I used to drive <laughs> to Radio 1 and I'd carry it into the live lounge put it down, plonk her in front of it and go I'm just going to go and do the radio show now, you just watch the telly and then at the end I'd unplug it put it back in the car, take her home <laughs> it's a lot easier these days <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and at the end, I'd found out that she'd crept down to the BBC News studio <laughs> and she was sat on the lap of uh, <laughs> Hugh Edwards. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I love that detail. And if anybody else at home wanted to watch TV, tough luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember also into, um, when I had Jude, I went back to work really quickly with him and I was still breastfeeding when I was doing the radio show. And Chris Eccleston came in to do an interview once, talk about Doctor Who. And I literally had to feed Jude while I was interviewing Chris on the radio and his eyes were just popping as he was trying to really maintain this chat all about Doctor Who and he was like what the hell this girl's breastfeeding in front of me but you do what you have to do that is an extraordinary example of juggling Joe. you know and I've, I've always yes. admired the juggle from you from afar because you know you you have managed to not just juggle the, the parenting and the family life and the work but also that that pressure with younger presenters coming through and especially in music which is kind of all about your relevance isn't it and how cool and relevant and all that and actually it was somebody you mentioned at the beginning Annie Nightingale once said to me in an interview with her that cool is actually just knowing your stuff and ever since then I've not been as afraid of aging because I thought that was such a brilliant description of you know cool people I said something like oh I'm not cool she went oh no cool is just really knowing your stuff so do you ever look over your shoulder and feel am I relevant are these are these you know are these kids kind of like you know talking a different language to me should I be or, or have you felt your career move in the way that it should organically um, first of all, that's an incredibly wise thing of Annie, and I'm going to remember that myself now. That's that's mm. good. Knowledge is power, isn't it? When you when you yeah with anything, if you're doing an interview, if you make sure that you know what you're talking about and you do the job well, then that's cool. So she, yeah, she she's a hundred percent right. She's she right. really is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, you just move with your age. I think I I was really lucky to go from Radio One up to Radio Two just as it was transitioning and changing. So it felt like leaving school, going to university. Radio One and Radio Two. Radio One was a school. Radio 2 was the university. So, the, and the audience have come with us. So a lot of people who listen to Radio 2 now used to listen mm. to Radio 1 and they're music fans. So I, I've just been super fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And of course, you know, I, there's no way in a million years I could ever be on Radio 1 and I listen to Radio 1 and it's not relevant to me at all. And it shouldn't be. And that's absolutely mm. the way it mm. should be and the way it is. Um, you know, and I'm always you're aware of people doing really great work. I always ask this question to bands and say, do you get envy of people uh, when they bring out a really great record? Or you see them doing a really good show. And I think what you, they always say that they look at people and sometimes think, damn it, that's a, that was a really good song you've released, but it just makes you up your game a little bit more. So I think that's what it does. When you mm. see uh, other presenters doing really great stuff, you think, okay, right, well, I'm going to, you know, I know what my role is here and I'm just going to be the very best I can be mm. at doing this thing. And so I'm going to make sure my interviews are really, really great. And then that gives you confidence in who you are and what you do but 
there are different types of presenters all around you know there are specialists in lots and lots of different fields mm. and there's no point looking over your shoulder and being paranoid because that would just destroy mm. you there's no point in being um mm. bitter or paranoid and you wouldn't enjoy it and no. what you do there has to be joy doesn't there in terms of your love of the music and uh the way you transmit that on the air there was a period obviously there was that kind of like unsettled period where you were doing drive and there was the whole kind of like transition there and was that the first time that for anybody listening who didn't know um obviously you were presenting a double header and um on radio two and then they changed the presenter roster and it kind of got headlines how did you deal with that because it felt to me like the first time that you'd been involved in stuff like that that wasn't really of your making and you didn't really want to kind of necessarily be the story Oh no, it was nasty. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. Like, as I said earlier on, I I really enjoy being under the radar and tucked away. I don't like being exposed. And that was the first time that I felt really, really exposed because I was given an opportunity to do drive time with Simon Mayo. And it, it was a huge break and it was really exciting, like such an amazing opportunity. And I was so, so excited about doing the show and it just didn't work. It just didn't work for whatever reason. And lots of people just joined in the whole bum fight of commenting on it all the time. I think if it had been given an opportunity just to bed down and for, to carry on, but it was never given that, that chance. And it became, you know, on, being written about in the newspapers is surreal. Take it from me, even though I work in the media, it's, there is nothing weirder than seeing your own face in a newspaper and people commenting on what you're doing. It's, it was very unpleasant. And then also there was a whole social media, so there was a lot of trolling, people just being plain nasty. Um, so I didn't enjoy the whole experience at all. But I, was, I got a lot stronger and I, I learnt an awful lot from it. Um, and as a broadcaster, you know, we were doing three-hour shows. It was a very complicated show, technically, driving the desk, uh, all the features, the interviews that we had to do. We had to do some really major stuff. So it was a brilliant learning curve and a great challenge for me, which I will forever be thankful for. But the being under the microscope and being uh, scrutinised and commented on was was very, very unpleasant. And I did not enjoy that at all. But I can laugh about it now. You know, my family, my family absolutely kept me sane because I did get obsessed with, not obsessed with looking on Twitter, but I was used to looking on Twitter. And when you suddenly look on Twitter and people are commenting on you, you get fixated with it. And so they used to literally shout at me. I remember being on holiday in Cornwall and they were taking the phone from my hands and just going, Mum, stop it. So thank God they did. <laughs> Can we just have a, t- a talk about your husband? Because you've been married 10 years longer than me. I think you've been married okay. 31 years. Um, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, and when I read that, I was, oh my gosh, 31 is, is incredible anyway. But to go through the career that you've had as well and, you know, children and everything else that kind of, you know, your fame and notoriety would throw up is, is amazing. How have you got to 31 years? Do you think what is the, what has been the, um, I hate to say the secret because when people say that to me, I go, oh, I don't know. But what, what how, do you, you, how have you done it? What do, yeah. What do you think um, has made your marriage so successful? I think a lot of it's down to Steve. I think he's an incredibly um, brilliant person in many, many ways. He's very, um, he's very passionate. He's fiercely protective of the family and of me and of my career he manages me as well so uh, the fact that he used to work in music and that's how we met because he was plugging bands that I loved he was uh, looking after New Order and all the 4AD records oh, wow. so I got I got to know him by talking to him on the phone before I ever met him and when I saw him when we met at a Ned's Atomic dustbin gig it was it was literally like love, love at first sight and we were just um 
smitten right from the very beginning. We got married a year later. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's very wise. He reads lots of self, self-help books. We are the complete opposite of each other. Maybe that's the secret. You know, I think it's all st- absolute nonsense. He'll, he's into feng shui, he's into crystals, he's into everything that I just have no time for whatsoever. But actually, as I'm getting older, maybe I realise that, you know, it's, it's made him a lot more aware and a lot, he tries really hard. And mm. um, I, I think I've got a lot to thank him for. But there's, so there's obviously enormous respect on both sides because he clearly you know, is very adoring of what you do to manage you. He would issue yeah. the ultimate belief in what you do professionally, doesn't it? And the way you juggle that as a mother and a wife. Yeah. And I, I think he's, um, he's quite wise and I can go to him and I can ask advice about when I'm doing live gigs. Cause I, I've started doing nineties anthem shows, which is me DJing in front of people. And that terrifies me. And in the very beginning I was, you know, having panic attacks every time I went out on stage and I found that really difficult. And he didn't actually understand that because he would love nothing more in the world than to be a DJ on stage playing to thousands of people. Whereas for me, it's, I have to really work at it. So that was a really difficult time because I would literally have to be not pushed out on stage, but I'd go, I, if, if I'm scared of something, I'd go very quiet and I get very angry and very hostile because I'm scared. <laughs> and that's obviously not very pleasant to be around. But, and he found that very hard to, to deal with in the beginning. But I think now that we've done it a couple of years, I can say to him, look, I'm really scared. And then he'll go, OK, well, why don't yeah. you do this? So we're, it's, it's got better, if anything. We can talk to each other a bit more honestly now, I think, because we know we've been together this long. We're going to probably be together for the rest of our lives. So there's a lovely element of honesty that you can have between each other and respect. Yeah, a lot of respect. Stay with me. We'll be back after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. People listening would probably be amazed to hear you say that you have fear about going on stage or doing something like that. And you've you've said, you know, Mm. about being scared about other things in this interview already, which somebody who is front and centre of kind of, you know, the schedules of one of the biggest radio stations in the UK, who has presented Glastonbury beautifully for many years, who seems to have the most easy rapport with the biggest rock stars in the world as well. That seems like a contradiction. That doesn't scare me, though. Going on the radio doesn't scare me talking to those people because going back to what you were saying earlier on and what Annie Nightingale said, if you know your stuff and mm. you're, if you've got a relationship with those people that you're interviewing or you understand where they're coming from, um, it's OK. You're just having a conversation with somebody. And I really, like you, I really enjoy talking to people. I really love finding out what makes them tick and getting, getting them to open up. It's my favourite thing in all the world. I like playing music, but I also really, really enjoy a great conversation with somebody. So none of that scares me at all. I'm not afraid about going on the radio all the time. I'm not afraid of going to Glastonbury because... Um, because I've known it all my life, you know, I just, I, I'm comfortable with it. It's when I'm out of my comfort zone. And is it maybe the times where, because he's talking about these shows, that perhaps you have to be a little bit more of you has to be given. Whereas in those other situations, you're eliciting information from somebody else. So people are getting... Yeah, oh no, you're absolutely, yeah. Again, you're exposing yeah. yourself and you're, it's... Um, yeah, I'm, but, you know, the, the most amazing front people in the world, the likes of Brandon Flowers... 
are really mm. shy people. So when they walk out on stage, they're wearing a uniform, they're wearing a really sparkly suit or they've got their, their protection on and they become another person. That's what I've learned, that when you walk out on stage, you have to become another person, you have to act another person, you have mm. to channel someone. And that's, um, I've said that to my daughter, India, who's she's an amazing photographer and she sometimes gets nervous about doing jobs. So we always have this talk before she goes off to do something or because, before I go to do something that's scary, right? Oh, who are you channeling today? Who are you going to be? Is it, is it Beyonce today? <laughs> is it Michelle Obama today? Is it Mary Poppins or whatever? And you have to just, you become another person. And that's, that's what I have to do. If I am feeling slightly fearful, then I'm just like, okay, get a grip, go out there. You're going to do this. You can, you know, you can do it really, but who are you going to be today? You see people listening to this will be going, well, I channel Joe Wiley. I'm going to be Joe Wiley today. Um, yeah. Good. Who, who, um, and you mentioned Brandon Flowers there. There's a, there's a a lot of big music acts who have kind of gone past the age of you know 45 they're heading into their 50s who are still mm. selling records still relevant still touring um those that you know and admire who do you think's handling midlife well gracefully but also challenging the kind of uh, previous rhetoric i mean i think annie lennox is phenomenal i think mm. she's such an inspiration um as a person you know all the good work that she does but also in a way of just being happy in your body, of not um, trying to be a younger age than you actually are, dressing appropriately. I think she's absolutely sensational. I think there's a whole raft of women who are um, inspiring. Annie Nightingale, <laughs> you know, she's always, mm. she's never ever uh, not loved music and always dressed like a young mm. rock chick. <laughs> and uh, and I love that about her. It's great that there are actually so many allies, isn't it, actually? And, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not, you don't feel like you're the only one that's kind of bashing down those. You've mentioned just two there. I can think, mm. And more kind of coming into my head as you were saying that. I can only think of men when you first asked me. So people like the Pet Shop Boys and New Order and The Cure, mm. all these bands that I grew up looking up to and absolutely loving. And they're now on tour and they're still making videos and they're headlining Glastonbury. And that's just tremendous. That's absolutely fantastic. And there's no apology for the age that they are and there shouldn't be either I just I can't bear ageism I really no. can't it's just but you know there was a certain era when I just knew it was the question that everybody was waiting to ask me and you're just like oh my god we get old <laughs> but you don't get that anymore no well it, sometimes it comes up but um you know I'm alive <laughs> increasingly mm. I'm so grateful to be alive you know we've lost quite a lot of close mm. friends recently and you know, it's, I'm just really, really grateful that I'm one of the people who's still alive and kicking and still doing my job and I've got my family. It's You, you just get appreciative of what you have as you get older. You said about Annie's good works and you talked about the campaigning that your mum did and you clearly obviously were inspired uh, by her or you've, you've taken some kind of lead from her because you were, during COVID obviously, um, I think you went on Andrew Marr, didn't you, as well? Um, yes. And were very passionate about that the, the people with Francis' condition and other disabled people should have... Uh, priority with the vaccine um was that something that felt outside of your comfort zone and you were exposing yourself a bit more or did you wear not at a, all no, no that that was just in the heat of the moment I mean like you know what scared me was that my I went to bed one night thinking that my sister was going to die and mm. she wasn't going to be there in the morning and that was the most um horrific night of my life um so going on tv and on radio and talking was not scary at all it was ne necessary mm. it was I was so angry and I was so mm. frightened and I so wanted um things to change that it uh, that I had to do it and you did it so brilliantly. Yeah, and I did it. And um, yeah, thank God that um, I did. And she's still here. I mean, you know, she's an amazing creature. She's very, very strong. She's always been super strong. She's like got amazing strength. And mm. I think that's what got her through COVID. But it changed the lives for lots of other people. It saved the lives of lots of other mm. people who were just forgotten. Mm. That was what made me the angriest, that people 
And also guilty. I felt really guilty. I felt like we'd failed this whole section of society just by not thinking about them. And mm. because they're, a lot of them are not particularly vocal, they, some of them are non-verbal, that they weren't mm. able to fight for themselves or speak up for themselves. And I felt so ashamed that we'd got to that point. And it's constantly in the back of my mind now, like, what more should I be doing all the time? What more should I be doing? I went to a festival at the weekend that my mum originally came up with. It's for people to learn disabilities. Um, and there were so many performers there, dance troops and singing troops of people with LD. And they were, um, they were amazing. They were so inspiring. It was, it was very heartwarming to see. You are a, a patron of Mencap, I think, aren't you, as well? I am. And, and, and also, I remember coming along when you did your comic relief challenge. Was it a sport relief or a comic relief? Sport oh, relief, God. Wasn't it? Sport uh, where relief. you ran for yeah. 26 hours. <laughs> um, so, so, and that was 2014. So, you know, you were into your late, late 40s at that point, running for 26 hours. So yeah. fitness is clearly... I, I, and I read you swam for Northamptonshire when you were a child. So you've always been a fit bunny. You've always been somebody who's been able to kind of yeah. have endurance. What's, what's keeping you fit now? What do you do? I go to the gym and I swim. I, I always swim. I swim for my head and I swim for my body. Um, and I run sometimes. I just really, I, I have to mm. do exercises. I'm trying to do a bit more yoga because I know that I need to be more supple, but I've always liked doing quite manic stuff. I'm always very busy all the time. So that's why running and swimming really suit me. And yoga, I've always thought, oh my God, it's just so slow but now as I'm seizing up I realize actually I really need to be more flexible you might like Pilates Matt Pilates because you do a stretch but you also do strength at the same time yeah. which seems to work better for me I think because I yeah I need to do that I definitely do but I, I also I'm hurting a lot more as I'm older <laughs> our expert today before we continue this chat because I think she might have something to say about this is Kate Roham who is a menopause coach focusing on diet and exercise for midlife women because um, I'm always up for kind of any uh, tips or hints regarding tweaking both of those um, to uh, face the challenges of midlife head-on hi Kate thanks for joining us Hi there, thanks for having me on. Um, so Jo was talking about, she's very fit. She ran for 26 hours. So, I mean, you know, we're talking ultra levels of fitness here. She swims all the time, uh, does a little bit of gym work as well. Um, why did you um, get into, or where was this an area for you that was really important and get into the midlife fitness? I think there was a, a real gap in the market to give sort of midlife women exposure and how to actually reach their full potential when we hit what is what can be for most of us a pretty complex time um, and I definitely feel or having learned from um, the own experiences and what I'm putting into place there's we need to do strength training it's a time that we need to look after our bones our muscles um, our brains our, our mental health and um, we've been so surrounded by HIT and all these really you know strenuous workouts which massively raise our cortisol levels at a time when we're already quite um, stressed, juggling family life, kids, elderly parents. Um, and so it's really important that we just take a step back. And I just noticed that that wasn't really being seen in the industry um, and felt that it was something that we needed to tackle. So strength training, uh, you know, on your, I've looked on your social media is um, one of the things you focus on, isn't it, the most. Yeah. Um, and there's all I think historically there's this perception isn't there from a lot of women that if they do weights they're going to really bulk up I mean obviously in midlife your chances of that unless you're injecting yourself with steroids are absolutely zero aren't they because everything's falling off our hormones uh, are all kind of dropping away so just explain why it is I love lifting but why it is so important to do weights yeah no absolutely so obviously as our estrogen um, depletes we have estrogen all over our all over our body um, that makes it a lot harder to actually um, build muscle that obviously has an impact 
impact on our bones as well. But essentially, we are slightly going against the ageing process from around about the age of 35. So it's actually really important for younger women to start lifting weights as well um, at around about the age of 35. As you say, in terms of that bulk, that really isn't going to happen unless you um, completely change your diet. Um, but again, that is the one thing that, that women tend to do is that over-exercising, not lifting enough weight, enough weights, and then restricting heavily um, in their diet because they, they begin to panic. Um, but eating a really lovely high protein diet, protein at every meal, um, and as I say, lifting those weights to really help. I mean, I would say fundamentally look at osteoporosis and look at your bone health first and then your muscle health. Um, and I mean, you know, then you're kind of onto a winning, a winning thing with that strength training and definitely increasing that protein. Do you do a bit of strength training, Joe? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I've also, I've got osteoarthritis, so um, I'm increasingly in pain. Um, I was lying in bed in the, about four o'clock in the morning thinking, oh, I'm going to be talking to Gabby tomorrow. And all I can think of talking about is my aching bones and joints and, you know, how much, how I'm in agony a lot of the time at the moment. Um, so I, I did quite a heavy training session last week, but I've just suffered ever since. I've been in so much pain in my shoulders and my arms and my neck and everything. So I find it, I, I don't actually know what exercise I should be doing at the moment and what vitamins I should be taking. I do feel a bit of a, a loss as to how to look after myself. Um, because I yeah I just I'm really really stiff all the time so I, I'd welcome any advice that Kate's got go on Kate <laughs> yeah I mean do you know it's a really common symptom I see Joe. and um do you take HRT is just the magic question yes okay yeah um and ha- has that made any difference at all in terms of you know energy I suppose maybe but it, it did in terms of my mental state, uh, but physically, I haven't noticed any difference, if I'm honest. Okay, so what I would normally say if you were to come to me and you're my client is I'd ask you to look at your diet um, and obviously gluten, dairy, alcohol, sugar um, can all call, cause a lot of inflammation um, in the body. So that's a really good place to sort of start and perhaps taper back on on some of those things that could be causing any of that inflammation that, that you might have a you know an unknown allergy to all these weird things creep in when we hit midlife that we'd been fine before and then suddenly you know we hit that magic 40 and, and 50 and things begin to escalate but again just be kind to yourself and I think um, that's something that is really important is that there is that pressure to continue to train when we have pain but look at yoga or pilates or, or just stripping it slightly back and making sure that you're building in that mobility um, that will really help with that endurance and that strength. Um, but collagen can also be, you know, there's a lot of capsules about that one. I take the capsules again. Okay. There's so, you know, there's so much information. There's mm. overload, oh and God, we are yeah. really vulnerable markets as well because it's like, give me that. I mm. want to feel better. Mm. Um, but I mean, swimming is great, obviously for for, for you. What about cold water? Yeah, no, I do that. Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of cold water swimming. I'm, I'm the biggest cliche. <laughs> I do, but I, lo- I do really like cold water swimming, but I love a pool. I really, I, you know, swimming, swimming definitely makes me feel a lot more, more loose. The idea of alcohol and having a drink is just like, those days are way gone. <laughs> I can, I can, that's been my biggest shock, being an older woman, the fact that you just can't, I personally cannot drink anymore. I can have... So enough, are you teetotal now? No, no, no. I, I'll try and drink a vodka on a Friday and a Saturday night, but I will have a really bad head the next morning mm. my head will really hurt um mm. it's just so unfair so I'm, I'm i'm now i've gone back to my student days i'm cider i can drink a can of cider <laughs> nice on a park bench yeah <laughs> sometime wherever wherever i can <laughs> um, is there anything else supplement i mean I, i'm i'm a big fan of magnesium um are you uh, do you take magnesium joe 
No, if, you know, if I pull out my drawer, you'll see everything in there. I've got turmeric, <laughs> I've got magnesium, I've got the whole lot. But I just don't know which ones to take because also I find it, this is really medical, I find it really um, burns my stomach if I take lots of vitamins and I find it hard to digest them. So I just get overwhelmed with the number of capsules and tablets that I should be taking. I don't know which ones to narrow it down to. So maybe I'll go collagen, magnesium, what else? Turmeric is a really good one, actually, um, as you say, that is, that is. But we can overload. And again, it's that thing. We then put so much pressure on our liver to kind of, you know, put these things back into our body that, again, it strips. It takes from sort of begging from Peter, borrowing from Paul, and it kind of, you're just filling your body with so much. Um, so I would definitely go with collagen. I think that's been brilliant. Turmeric, a really good suggestion. But also just moving every day, even if you do have that pain, just to move because we need to keep those joints mobilised. And often, I think, when we do ache, we think the best thing sometimes is just to to not move but something is always better than nothing even if it's just that mental gain from feeling so you know that you are in pain that even if you've moved if you've done a walk you know walking is so underrated I I mean you know there's nothing like a good walk to just get that heart rate going and every everything you do every every little bit of movement will count towards um, you know hopefully loosening up the the joints but I definitely give collagen a girl in capsule format. All right, I'll do that. I mean, I never, I never sit still. I do move all the time. I think badminton nearly killed me the other day. So, <laughs> the other thing I think sometimes, and I, I was, I gave this advice to my daughter the other day, and I thought, oh, it's not a bad thing actually for midlifers as well, because she was, she's seventeen, and she had a bit of a hormonal kind of breakout. And I was chatting to a facialist I see, and she said, oh, tell her to strip all the sugar out of her diet at the moment and see whether that's spiking her insulin. And I, and I said to her, why don't you write down what you're eating and see what's triggering it. And then I thought, actually, that's not a bad bit of advice, is it, for us midlifers? Because as you say, everybody's different. Different things are going to affect at different times. And sometimes just a little food diary and noticing how it's making your body feel. Because you do have days where you feel better, right? You know, it sounds a bit basic, doesn't it? But sometimes you go, oh, actually, you're right. White wine and me are finished. I mean, you found that out already. I'm I'm slowly finding that out. No, I think sugar could be the thing. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. I'll try and cut out sugar. sugar. Yeah. Kate, thank you so much. Keep doing your good work. And people can uh, find you on your Instagram account, can't they? Where you have lots of tips and advice. So give that a plug. Yes, of course. So um, I've actually got two Instagram accounts. So one is KateRH underscore fitness. Um, and then owning your menopause, which is, um, you know, where all the, all the good stuff happens and, and hopefully helps everybody through their midlife and menopause. Everybody needs a menopause midlife friend. Thank you, Kate, yeah. for being ours no, today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> See you soon. Take care. Thank you very Take much. Care. You seem like you're really clued in, actually, listening to you there with your kind of midlife physical journey. You know, I wasn't sure whether you were an HRT or not. Oh, or what God, you were yeah. Doing, but you sound, yeah. Like, you sound like you're across yeah. it all. No, I did. I started um, on HRT just before I started the drive time thing with um, Simon because I was absolutely finding that my um the brain fog was a very Mm. real thing which I hadn't anticipated at Mm. all I just couldn't work out why I couldn't think of the right word to say and when you're a broadcaster that's an absolute nightmare um so when that job came along I thought my god I've got got to deal with this I was really scared of taking on HRT I was really um cynical about it but it it absolutely 100% helped me so yeah it's a good thing but I will I will take all advice from anybody whether it's (laughs) physical mental whatever I'll take it all down (laughs) The, uh, the mental thing was my overriding kind of menopausal, perimenopausal trait, actually, because um, I did think at one point, maybe my brain has reached its capacity and I have, you know, is this it now? And especially radio almost is worse than TV as well, because at least on telly, you can 
pause and give a facial expression while you think of it. On radio, it's just dead air, isn't yeah. it? While you're struggling to find that word or yeah. the name of that band Horrendous. or whatever it is. That yeah. You're, yeah. So, um, and it is real. Um, it is. And it's a blessed relief when you find when you've taken HRT that it comes back yeah. <laughs> and, you, and your brain works again. I think I feel quite resigned to it because I, I can remember my grandma um, was always in pain. She always had it's just, it's just a, it's a genetic thing. It's in the family. I don't like talking about it too much. I don't want to moan about it to my kids too much because I don't want to be the person who's in pain. But but gen, generally, there is pain always, and it's just a matter of uh, trying not to let it overwhelm you. I think. And um, and you're doing loads of great things as well to um, to kind of counter that with the um, the cold water swimming. Uh, big fan of that. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> Respect you for doing that. That was so cold showers. Good. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that. And loving work as much as you ever have. So, um, Joe, it's great to chat to you. I knew I, I would love talking to you. I could probably do that all day long. There's so many things that, you know, you yes. have such interesting takes on. But thank you so much for sharing so openly um, about midlife, about your career and being so inspiring, I think, to, to so many of us as well. Oh, it's OK. It's a good it's a it's a challenging time of your life. I will say that I do. I definitely think that it's very complicated because you have so many things that you're having to deal with whether it's your children growing up or your parents getting older your advancing years the change when you look in the mirror all these things mess with your head but um, there's also a power in the age that you are and the experience you've got and the knowledge that you have in your head so it's a it's a time to take stock of what is important to you and to just keep on keeping on and as you said uh, a little while ago, you're here and living. And that is the, the greatest gift of all, isn't it? So, um, 100%. Thank you, Joe. Have a wonderful day and good luck with the kitten, uh, who was very well behaved, I might have said. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, Gabby. Take care. Thank you so much to the excellent Joe Wiley. What a way to finish. As she said, there are challenges, but this is a time when we have power with age and wisdom. So let's go out there and use it. And thank you so much to Kate for her brilliant advice on midlife fitness and health and diet. Owning your menopause on Instagram is her account, so check it out. Thank you to Rethink Audio for producing. And thank you to you for listening. And just a reminder as well uh, that my book, The First Half, is out next week. So please check it out if you can. I'll see you next time. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.